0: Welcome to Breaking Through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We have a really good show for you today with insights on what the election results mean for you, for your life, for us together as a nation. We start out talking with the National Women's Law Center about what's going on with access to abortion and how your voice, your vote makes a difference. What's gonna happen in January because of your voice and your vote in Congress. Then we dive into talking about running for office, Hundreds of people ran for office for the first time with the group called Run For Something. Find out how you can run for office or get a friend to run for office. And what brings people hope who are running for office? A key question because there's so much cynicism in politics right now. After that, we talk about how to talk with kids about anti-Semitism and how to stand up and fight back against anti-Semitism. And we close the show going over the power of moms voting, the power of moms rising, and how that power helped change the direction of our nation. We're going to jump right in with our first guest. And we are joined right now by a guest who is a nation-lifting leader, a person who inspires us to stay engaged, who brings forward wins for everyone, Fatima Gossgraves with the National Women's Law Center. Welcome, Fatima. woo Uh, I'm so happy to be here
1: and be with you.
0: I'm really thrilled that you're here because we can talk about something that is so important, and that is the ability to decide if, when, and how many children we have and what just happened in the November 8th elections. We have a situation where for some reason, many pundits said, huh, people don't actually care about bodily autonomy. They only care about the economy. But they kind of seem to have forgot that a basic economic foundation of our lives is being able to decide if we are going to have children. So the voters did not forget that, did not overlook that. And we just had some big victories. Can you share the big victories?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad that you made that basic point that um, people in this country understand that expanding your family or not expanding your family, that is a giant economic decision. So people who are trying to make it sound like one has nothing to do with the other, I think we're both you know, operating as a distraction, but also operating out of an old story. What happened, what we saw across the century in states that people might think of as blue states and states that people maybe think of as red states or purple states, Every time abortion was on the ballot and people were given an opportunity to directly say whether they wanted to have access to reproductive health care or not, they consistently said, I want that. They didn't like that the Supreme Court overturned Roe. They didn't like that the extreme few were trying to control our lives, our bodies, and take away our freedoms. That's not a popular thing. So we saw that show up again and again and it was exciting to see. And I hope people learn that lesson. I hope they learn the lesson that we didn't like people controlling our freedom, our reproductive freedoms, and that people will show up at the polls. So it is part of the story in Michigan where many of us believe the referendum on the ballot not only meant that abortion access and reproductive healthcare access more broadly is secured in the Michigan constitution, but it also over it also had such a huge effect on the entire election. People turned out. They were rejecting the politics that were driving these really, really bad policies. But we saw it in states that people sort of maybe have a narrow idea of what can happen in Kentucky. People have a narrow idea of what can happen over the summer in Kansas. Um, So whether you're talking about the California Initiative or the Vermont Initiative, again and again, access to abortion care, reproductive freedom won.
0: It won. Big time. And when it won, something I think is really important to uplift that you just said is that Democrats, Republicans, Libertarian, Green Party people, all people across all parties, when you look at polling,
1: actually support freedom to decide what to do with their bodies. Right. That's not even a new idea. So here's the thing. For a long time. Whenever this issue was pulled, if you ask people if they supported Roe v. Wade, if they wanted people to decide whether or not they make their decisions, not politicians, consistently Roe v. Wade was popular. People didn't want it to be overturned. And the Dobbs decision was deeply unpopular. So pundits who had decided that this didn't matter were not actually reading Um, the sentiment. They thought that people would just sit by as our rights were taken away. And when given an opportunity to do something about it, people reacted. And that is across party. And that is across geography. And I actually think, Kristen, it's consistent with a lot of issues. On the ballot, there were other issues that fared well and mostly better than politicians. I'm in D.C., and I'm super excited that D.C. passed one fair wage and with giant enthusiasm and energy. And what that means is that over time, tipped workers are going to be able to make a fair wage. That's a giant deal. Or in New Mexico, where there was an initiative around child care. I, I think we have set ourselves up a reminder that. People are telling you the issues that they want to see politicians focus on and politicians should listen to that. And they should listen to that and
0: they shouldn't take the issues that we care about, the most personal issues related to our freedoms and use them as political footballs. Right. I mean, really, I'm going to go a little partisan here, but we saw a really big divide between Democrats and Republicans with Republicans really putting up blocks to freedoms and no plan for forward solutions and Democrats coming through with plans for forward solutions. I've been working in politics in some way or another for 923,000 years. And no year has that been so stark that one party has a plan, a solution and a process and the other party is just sort of staying there saying, we're going to take away your rights. We're going to take away your ability to care for your children. We're going to block child care. We're going to, you know, I mean, it was it's ridiculous. I think it was a huge overreach by the MAGA component of the Republican Party. And I think that hopefully that has sent a strong enough message that um, they start to fade into oblivion.
1: (laughs) I'll just say it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I will say if you look at uh, historically, midterm elections usually mean that the party who is in power they get a they get a setback in 2018, you saw a big setback in 2010, you saw a big setback. That's expected. That you know, parties typically plan for that. Here we're in a situation where the usual expectation that the other party was gonna gain tons of seats, it's not playing out. And so you would hope that everyone begins to do some digging and say, why did that happen? Both Republicans sort of asking questions around why did they not win, but also Democrats asking questions around why did they win? I think that post-election, and I know some stuff is still coming in, but that post-election analysis should hopefully be done carefully. And with the context of the giant disruption that Dobbs was, people were angry. This is so deeply personal, but a lot of issues are deeply personal. And it is not okay to just tell us that there's nothing you can do about it. That is
0: 150% true, and I agree with you 1,000% as usual. And I think one of the things here, just to continue the conversation on what is the charge to the people who won their elections, what do we need them to do moving forward? We need them to realize that fighting for abortion care, fighting for paid family medical leave, child care, home care, and the child tax credit are winning issues, are what put them in those seats, and then we need them to take action in January. So we need to, d- them to double down on why voters stood up for them in the first place by really pushing for and championing those policies when they take office again in January. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I believe people run for office because they believe that they are someone who can get things done, that they uniquely are the right person to get things done. I, th- I think in general, that's what inspires people to run. They, they decide that in themselves. They decide that why not me, and then they get to work. And the thing that I have to say for the people who are coming in, both into this new Congress and at state levels and at school board levels, I, you have a tough job because you are coming in at a time where we need you to get to work. We need them to come in with a sprint, with an energy around expanding access and defending against uh, the the protections that people deserve. I, I just, you know, this is not going to be like a, a slow, like, let me find my way around the building. Folks need to come in with a sprint. I
0: agree. And guess what, people, if you're listening and you just won a seat in any legislative body, the National Women's Law Center is here for you with data, with policy suggestions. Moms Rising is here for you with priorities from moms. We have you covered. Do you we want got to hear your about back <laughs> about how the National Women's Law Center can help any of the many people who may be listening who just won elective office?
1: Well, I hope people know that our experts stand at the ready to help guide with the details of policy, with the research that backs it up, and with the broader base of support that can help to get it done. And that's true with the policies that we're championing at the federal level, but that's also true um, for state for state folks who have just been reelected or newly elected. And there's some states that have shifted power. So Michigan, for example, is gonna be a very different place. Minnesota is showing up a very different place. There are things that have probably been on the agenda for a long time where they're gonna have opportunity to pass. And we are ready with our partners on the ground to support new folks in these roles.
0: So what gives you hope? A lot of people coming into this election were in really deep despair for really good reasons. We've been in a pandemic that has become an endemic. Hate has been really increasing. Cynicism has been being spread by media and you keep fighting, you keep going, and importantly, you keep winning. Because one of the things that I firmly believe is we truly, truly, truly at the cellular level have to believe that we will win in order to win. And you are one of the best, believers in winning com- coupled with really strategic hard work. So what keeps you going?
1: Well, this is why I I love Kristen and Mom's Rising because you guys also believe we win, it, we can win and and I think it makes a difference. I I will say I understand that we are in a point in time over a long history. The National Women's Law Center, we actually just turned 50. We're celebrating it this weekend and beyond. And there have been times when we have won giantly, and there have been times when we have had big setbacks. That's what happens in the march towards progress. And so that's not a reason to give up. But the thing in this cycle that gave me the most hope was the way Gen Z turned out in giant numbers with clarity demanding the future that they want. And I got to say, you know, as a Gen Z parent, and, and, you know, there's lots written about this generation about whether or not they will be engaged or not. I think that they are now telling us that they understand that they have to fight for their future. And we owe it to them. We owe it to that next generation to fight alongside them.
0: So true. So well said. To add on to the enthusiasm and support and appreciation of the Gen Z voters, by the way, thank you, Gen Z voters. I want to give some enthusiasm and appreciation to the mom voters and mom volunteers. We knew this election was not going to be as pundits predicted as soon as we started having massive volunteers coming in to help turn out the vote way more than we even were able to support. Over 34,000 moms stepped forward to help turn out the vote. And so we were like, hmm, if people are really stepping forward, making time in their lives to help get out the vote, then they're definitely going to vote. So thank you. Thank you to all the moms of the Gen Zers <laughs> who not only did a great job raising kids, but you know, did a great job helping to get out the vote. Do you have any closing words of wisdom moving forward?
1: Well, I just wanna say, I feel like this week, we all got to practice being a part of our democracy. And our democracy is imperfect and flawed in all the ways, but I hope people understand that that practice work they did this week, that's showing up, that's just the beginning. And I'm gonna be calling on all of you, and I know Moms Rising will be too, to keep that practice work to hold your lawmakers accountable, to speak out when you think something is right or wrong, and then to show up again, to vote again and again. Because we need you. We need all of us if we're going to make it through.
0: Agree, agree. Fatima Goss National Women's Law Center. Everybody, join National Women's Law Center. Follow National Women's Law Center. Support National Women's Law Center. Get involved and stay involved. Thank you so much, Fatima.
1: Thanks so much, Kristen.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with our next guest talking about how to run for office. How many people just ran and won? And if you want to run for office or have a friend, how you can actually run and win. We'll be back in just a quick moment. breaking through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We are joined right now by somebody you are going to love, 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 love to hear from. We are hearing from Amanda Littman of Run For Something. Welcome, Amanda.
2: Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about the election.
0: Well, we just had a really historic election. And one of the reasons why this election was historic is because it did not go the way history predicted. History predicts that when you have a president, the house and the Senate, all of one political party in a midterm election, the majority, vast majority of times, there is a full on flippage and usually gains of like 30 to 40 seats by the uh, different party. Well, this year we just had something happen where we made history because there was no flipping of the house and the Senate and the presidents. now. What does that mean by flipping? We might at the time of this recording uh, end up with a change in leadership, but we're not seeing a tsunami of change. So what's happening with run for something? Did you see more people running
2: this year? So this year we had 490 candidates on the ballot on election day. We'd endorsed more than 690. And we had some folks who won earlier this year. We had folks who made, didn't make it through the primary. Um, this is one of our biggest years yet. Um, and as of today, there's still a bunch of races to call. These numbers are always, always already fluctuating, but we've got results for at least 300. And about 185 of them have won. So we're on yes! our best election day ever which is amazing and as a reminder run for something exclusively works with young people running for local office for the first time so that's new members of city councils and school boards and state legislatures and library boards who are rebuilding democracy from the ground up
0: i love it now one thing that you just mentioned is it's people running for the first time so you're having this huge win percentage already with people running for the first time who are young people So if people are listening right now and they were like about to give up on democracy, about to give up on participation and making our communities reflect who we are, what should they be thinking about if they're thinking about running for office? If you're
2: thinking about running for office, you want to make sure it reflects the community you're trying to serve. You really got to start with asking yourself three key questions. One, what is the problem I care about solving? Is that schools? Is it reproductive health care? Is it traffic? Um, Is it bike lanes is it business licensing whatever it is think about the problem you care about solving Two, think about the office that will give you place to solve it in most places that's not going to be Congress and it's not going to be the White House it's not even going to be a governor it's going to be your city council or your school board or your library board then ask yourself third question why should voters want me to win what am I going to do to make their lives better this is different than why do you want to win you want to win because winning is great and losing is terrible Voters want you to win because you're going to do something specific for them. You're going to deliver for them. If you can answer those three questions, everything else about running for office is just logistics and hard work. And Run for Something is here to help you figure that out and make sure that you are set up to succeed.
0: One of the things I love about what you just said is you've got to figure out what is the something that you want to do something about. And it fits so beautifully with Run for Something to do something. Like, think about it. Now, I have a lot of to dos, and I'm sure all of the listeners have a lot of to dos. And sometimes when we have all of these to-dos, we don't wanna run for something ourselves. We just wanna make sure that there is somebody in there that is reflecting what we need something to be done about. So if you have a friend, a family member, a person in your community who you think would be good at being an elected official at the city, county, state, or federal level, then what should you do then? Because listeners, what I'm hoping happens is you hear this interview you hear what Amanda has to say, you hear about run for something. And then you think about the dramatically positive, vibrant democratic moment that we just had with this midterm election. And you have a little bit of hope in your heart, hope for change and optimism that change can happen, that change about the things that you wanna do something about. And then you think about yourself running for office or somebody in your community running for office that can make that something happen. So if you see somebody who you think would be great What should you say to them? How do you get them to run for office?
2: you got to ask them. Ask them to run for office. Ask if they've ever thought about it. And then tell them you'll be there for them and you want to help them. Help them think through the answers to those questions I laid out earlier, but also what would this mean for their lifestyle? What would this mean for their family, their partner, their friends, their career? And then... See if you can make introductions to folks. See if there's anyone you know in your network, whether that's someone in political uh, exercises or not. Uh, Maybe it's small business owners, maybe it's community leaders, maybe it's faith leaders, and help open doors for them. And make a promise that you can keep, that you will be their first donor and their first volunteer, and then hold them to it. I love that.
0: And the first donor does not need to be a million dollars, people. I've seen a lot of races. It could be $10. It could be $20. It could be $50. It could be a million dollars. Now that would be highly helpful depending on what you're running for, but it doesn't have to be because what happens is all of this support adds up. So if you see somebody who you think would be good at running for office, do not be shy. And here's the thing. Studies show that women in particular need to be asked not once, not twice, but seven times in order to really consider running for office, and they need that support. Create that kitchen cabinet for the candidate, just like we heard Amanda saying a moment ago. Not only you ask them, but find a circle of six to 12 people who can be there for that candidate with those $15 donations, with that volunteering, with maybe some dinner on the nights that they have to be working late and need some food maybe even with some child care support like it doesn't only have to be money it can be your time it can also be um your ideas you know you can volunteer for somebody and say hey i want you to run for something to do this something in addition to the thing that you want to do so can i help you write your climate change policies you know even at the city council you need climate change policies and care policies and fair pay policies at all levels um when What are your most favorite candidates that you have seen come forward? I mean, hundreds of candidates. What are the beacons of hope in there?
2: Oh, it's it's like asking me to pick which is my favorite puppy. Um, Okay,
0: three, top three. Don't name names and we won't tell anybody.
2: Um, no, I'll give you a couple of our winners from the last uh most recent election. Um one, Nabila Saeed, who's a young twenty-three, she might be twenty-five, she's young twenty-something, young Muslim woman, um, flipped a state house seat in Illinois. Um, helping win us even closer to a supermajority there. Um, She'll be the first and youngest Muslim woman in the Illinois state legislature. She's been a community organizer and an advocate since she was a teenager. I think it's amazing to see young people run for office and win. Um, I especially think it's amazing to see young women of color do it. So I'm obsessed with that. Um, We worked with uh, Lena Hidalgo down in Texas. She's the Harris County judge. We've been working with Lena since 2018 uh, when she ran for that office the first time. She was a 27 year old uh, immigrant to the United States, just recently graduated from uh, Kennedy School, had moved home to deal with flood relief, ran for county executive in a come from behind election, flipped the seat red to blue, held it. And then in her reelection this year, Republican donors spent more than nine million dollars against her only for her, only raising about two and a half to three. She was able to hold on to her seat in spite of the incredibly misleading characterizations of her in the press. And this is really important because that's the county executive of the third largest county in, in America. Um, and so she can do an amazing job making life better for people. Um, the third winner that I am just really, really pumped about um is Anna Escamani down in Florida, which was also a re election win. Um, Anna is a state representative in Orlando. This is her third time winning, re- winning office. Um, she was re elected in 2020. Um, she's been just such a fierce advocate, especially for abortion access um, and for pushing back against some real garbage uh, in the state level down there.
0: I love all of those beacons of hope. Now, when we're talking about this, people might not be taking notes while we're having this conversation where can they go to find out information about how to run for something or how to get somebody to run for something?
2: So run for something is online at runforsomething.net. And on our website, you can fill out more information about your interest in running for office. You can look up where to run for in your community in 2023 or 2024. It's important to note that the filing deadlines in 2023 come up fast. Some of them start as early as as, uh, December or January. So it is never too soon to just consider it and look into it. You can find us on Instagram at run for something now on Twitter. Should it still exist at run for something? And we're <laughs> on Facebook at run for something as well.
0: I love Twitter. Should it still exist? Are you going over to Mastodon or whatever the name is of this other situation?
2: I do not have the mental capacity for any more social media networks. If Twitter dies, <laughs> so shall my presence there.
0: <laughs> I'm with you. People are like, choose a server. I'm like, what are you talking about? This seems very not user friendly. Thank you very much. Um, so what are you thinking already for the next election? I know we just finished an election about two minutes ago, but what's on your mind for the next election and what should people be thinking about for the next election?
2: Well, 2023 is not an off year. I think it's really important to name that. There's going to be something like 90,000 elections over the course of 2023, um, That includes more than 13,000 school board races all across the country. Remember, a lot of school board races do not happen in November. Many of them happen in the spring or in the early summer. So it is never too soon to start thinking about running for school board. And we have seen that when good people run, they're able to beat the crazy people. So I'm really thinking about those. And I'm also thinking really intentionally about some of these local election administrator roles. Um, In Wisconsin, elections are administered on the municipal level. In Pennsylvania, their office is called election judges that happen on the county or city or even neighborhood way. Um, And it's really important to have good pro-democracy folks in those positions, making sure that our elections are run smoothly, especially ahead of 2024. So those are the two things that I'm really excited about going into 2023.
0: I love that you said next year is not an off year. If you're thinking about running for something, you don't need to start by running for US president, right? Like that is kind of a big leap. You need to have probably held a couple other offices. So you can run for something next year in an off, off year um and make some big gains learn some things or get somebody to run next year in an off off year it's really kind of fun i think what's what do you think is the most fun thing about running for office we have two minutes left so i just want to have a moment on the fun because you know what democracy is fun people democracy is fun we don't talk about the fun part very often
2: you know, I got to run a run for something podcast for a little bit. And one of the conversations I had with was with State Senator Sarah McBride out in Delaware. And one of the things she told me that has stuck with me is if you want to fall in love with your community, run for office. You get to meet your neighbors, go into their homes and talk about the issues they care about. And it will open your eyes to the people you surround yourself with and the place you call home. And then you get to actually do something about it. And it's just, it's like such a a tangible way to make a difference in the world. And so while that may be not the most fun, although also like a lot of pizza when running for office a lot of new friends and a lot of interesting experiences i think there's something really powerful about deciding that you care enough about your home to want to make a difference
0: i agree and you know i'm one of the last people who actually loves door knocking people when you run for office you do get to meet the most interesting people who you never would have met before who have super unique perspectives and that's one of the other things about politics that is, you know, sometimes being under attack right now, but the ability to talk to people across political differences and to learn is just so amazing and beautiful, quite often um, when you run for something. Now, our national political media is not in the beautiful, graceful moment on that at all, but there's still that beauty and grace there as a community. So I'm so glad you brought that. We have about 15 seconds left. I want you to share your website one more time so that people can go there and think about running for something or getting somebody to run for something.
2: Find us online at runforsomething.net.
0: Runforsomething.net, people. Runforsomething.net. Thank you so much for being on with us, Amanda Littman. Thank you for getting hundreds and hundreds of people to run for something and hundreds and hundreds of people to win for something. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. We're gonna take a quick break, but stick around. Next up, we're talking about how to fight back against anti-Semitism tips for you important 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 we'll be back in a quick flash breaking through with me, Kristen Rao Finkbeiner, powered by Moms Rising. We have a very, very special guest for you today, Dr. Logan Lovekoff She is an author. She is a speaker. She is a TV personality. She is awesome. And you are going to love, love, love her. Welcome, 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 Dr. Levkov. Thank you so much for having me. I wish I'm- the topic was more uplifting. <laughs> The topic is not uplifting, but hopefully we're going to be able to give some people some actual tactics to help turn back hate. And on that, the topic, people are now wondering, what is the topic? The topic is, you just wrote a recent article called How to Talk to Your Jewish Kids About Anti-Semitism. This is critically important because we have a rise in anti-Semitism happening in the United States of America, often led by celebrities who kids are paying attention to, which is ridiculous, horrible, and awful. So first, can you give us some tips about how to talk to kids
3: about anti-Semitism? Yes, I mean there there are, there are a lot of tips, and and I think the first thing, um, you know, the first thing before tips is really to recognize that. We are at a moment where it's no longer okay to put your head in the sand and pretend like these things don't impact you if you are a Jewish family. Um, we Many of us have had the luxury of thinking because we were in certain cities, because maybe some of us weren't visibly Jewish, that it didn't apply to us. But at the end of the day, particularly for people who are anti-Semitic, <laughs> a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, and it doesn't really make a difference. So, you know, this is an opportunity. I mean, yes, there are obviously some really horrible steps. You know, Jews are 2% of the American population, but make up over 50% of hate crimes in the United States. I mean, that fact in and of itself is pretty horrifying. Um, so this is this is a time. This is a moment. And we, we, we don't have a choice, right? I mean, and, and we either... We either speak up now, or we let other people define who we are as as Jews and as as uh, Jewish families, um, or we inevitably or, or implicitly teach our kids to be ashamed of their identity, which we don't want either. So this is an amazing opportunity for families, which is, I think, what I want to say first.
0: Yes. I mean, I think that's so important, what you're saying, because the reason to talk about anti-Semitism is to help stop anti-Semitism and to really move our country our communities forward in terms of protecting people and um and so i guess that's the first question instead of you know what was in your article what were the tips can you share a little bit more about why talking about anti-semitism what's happening around us um, how to address it to fight back against it is such an important
3: part of stopping anti-semitism Yes. Yeah, so I think the first thing is that we really need to define what it is because a lot of people hear this word and 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 don't even understand what it means. At the end of the day, to break it down into terms that are really simple, anti-Semitism means Jew hate. That's literally what it means, right? It's not like people like to say, oh, but I'm a Semitic person, so it's not just about Jews. The word Semite or Semitic has to do with languages or origins of languages, not people. The word anti-Semitism only means Jew hate. So that's, that's the first thing to to remember. We, we need to really define um, define what it is. And the reality is, and this is a really tough reality for lots of us, um, because it gets weaponized in lots of ways. Anti-Semitism exists on all sides of the political spectrum, right? It is not limited to one group. It shows up in very different ways. But at the end of the day, Jew hate is still Jew hate. And if we have integrity, which I hope we do, and we really care about fighting this battle, then we don't just care about fighting it in the political parties that we oppose, we fight it in our own parties too. Um, Because if we're going to be represented by those parties, we need to make sure we are being heard. So that's the first thing. I think that In this very polarized world that we're living in we have a tendency to find it really easy to to go after our opponents without turning the mirror into onto our own camps and and parties and allies and say like wait wait wait, what about what about us but the reality is it exists everywhere and we really need to root it out everywhere
0: and i think you brought up something well i think i know you brought up many (laughs) things that are very very important and one of them is Really looking at the impact of words, right? So, we're talking about hate speech, but what you brought up earlier is that even though only 2% of our population in the United States of America are Jewish, 50% of the hate crimes are against people in the Jewish community. And so, I'm wondering if you could share. A little bit more sometimes people don't make that leap they're like oh you know that whole old adage of sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me actually the hate speech is leading to actual real life hate crimes and so it's so important to talk about the hate speech talk about what's happening lift it really focus on it and stop the hate speech as well as the hate crimes Yes. Can you talk about that connection a little bit? sometimes people yeah. are like, wait, what? Can't we just <laughs> yeah. ignore it? You know, this
2: word.
3: <laughs> and then, no, we can't ignore it. No, no, we, we can't ignore it. Um, it, it, anti-Semitism takes a lot of forms, and it's really insidious, and that's that's the problem. I mean, there are some very overt types of anti-Semitism, the kind that come where you know people get beat up for wearing a yarmulke or looking visibly Jewish or wearing a mug in David, or um, you know, or when you see swastikas on people's uh, written on people's doors or in graffiti. I mean, those things are fairly overt and obvious and we know they're violent. And then there is this other side that often masks itself as as progressive in a lot of ways that talks about, you know, demonizing people because they're they believe in the self-determination of the Jewish people in their homeland of Israel. We see people excluding on groups and college campuses excluding people who support the, their their Zionist identity. We see them being excluded from places on campus. All of these things have an impact. They have an impact because they can become violent and, and physically violent, but they also force Jewish people in a lot of ways to choose, to choose sides. Who do I pick? Who am I first? Um, and it's really, we, we know what happens when we are forced to, to choose, right? And, it, and it's never good. We are Jewish at our core, regardless of how we practice it. And what makes Judaism particularly complicated especially in the United States, is that it often, we often think of it as just being a religion or a faith, but it's very much an ethnicity. Um, you know, you can be Jewish without practicing Judaism in its formal, you know, in its forms. You know, we were, we are a tribe of people from thousands of years ago, which means we don't fit neatly into any box. So, you know, when people say, you know, that feels anti-Semitic and someone says, no, 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 you're just a religion, you're we have an opportunity to say, you know what, I know that it's complicated, but we're a lot more than that. So words, unfortunately, become real life physical hate crimes. Um, And and as we know, and as we, we see in our country, words and propaganda have an impact. And there are a lot of Jewish families who have felt safe for a long time, who are waking up to the very scary reality that maybe the world they thought was so safe isn't really that safe.
0: And this is where your article, I think, comes in, because it's preventative measures in so many ways. How to talk to your Jewish kids about anti-Semitism that I, reading it, would think we could talk to kids of all faith about anti-Semitism and would hope so. And one of the ways that you start out the article is saying, find a quiet place and a quiet time to really have a deep conversation And I'm thinking that that deep conversation needs to happen with kids across the religious spectrum to say, you know, there is something happening right now. It's anti-Semitism. Here's how you can identify it. Here's how you can stand by your friends and community who are Jewish. And here's some steps. And what are your thoughts about who, what types of parents should be having these careful, quiet, important conversations with kids?
3: So I agree with you. I think that these are conversations we have across the board, right? Across all faiths, ethnicities, races. <laughs> like, And again, keeping in mind that, you know, this idea of who is a Jew or who is a Jewish person crosses ethnicities, races. <laughs> like, it's not, there's not just one image of who a Jewish person is. Again, which makes things complicated, but also amazing and complex and wonderful. I think the one thing we want to ask our kids first is, when they hear the word Jew or Jewish, what are the first things that come to mind? You know, particularly if our kids are not Jewish, because then you'll get to hear, it's a litmus test to hear, what are the stereotypes? What are the tropes? What are people saying? And for a lot of us, that might be a big uh-oh, wake up call, like, whoa, maybe, maybe they're picking it up for me. And that's a problem. Maybe they're picking it up at school or for their peers. But at least it gives us some sense of where we need to, where we need to work from a you know Jewish parent to Jewish child perspective i want to say the conversation is a little bit different because it, the first thing we need to do is really infuse our Jewish children with pride in who they are right our story our narrative cannot just be negative and traumatic i mean we have you know we have an amazing survival story but we also have things that make us you know incredibly proud beyond beyond the traumas that we've experienced. So I think particularly when talking with about anti-Semitism with Jewish children, we have to ask our kids first, like, what do they love about being Jewish? What does it mean to be, you know, Jewish to them? And then we can start saying, like, you know, have you ever heard something or someone say, say something about Jews or Jewish people or Jewish holidays that ever made you feel icky in some way? And, Well, be surprised. I mean, we get a lot of information. Kids do have that same gut reaction that we do. The only difference is they don't know how to process it and they often don't know how to speak up.
0: And in your article, another thing that I love um, as a tip for parents is that this isn't one conversation. Like, We're not going to solve discrimination and bias in one conversation. This is repetitive conversation. You can look for moments in the news. You can look for moments of things you see around and use them as discussion topics. You can create those quiet moments to both celebrate and to really break down what's happening in terms of concerning things around us. And and can you talk a little bit, maybe a little bit about why that iterative part is so important in the parent-child-family conversation? So
3: in my... In my life where I'm not talking about Jewish issues, I talk about sexuality for a living. (laughs) And so the the funny thing is that these complicated conversations often go hand in hand because it's the same type of skill set. You give young people a little bit of information at a time, as much as they can process, and you keep repeating it because it's information we all need to learn. And there are also skills that we need to develop. You know, we don't just assume that our kids are going to be resilient if we've only had one conversation with them about, you know, speaking up for themselves, right? It's That's not necessarily an innate skill. That's something we teach over time, constant repetition, um, you know, in, infusing them with, with self-confidence and, and, you know, strategies for navigating tough situations. So these are ongoing conversations. And, I mean, unfortunately – The news these days provides us with so many opportunities to talk about these issues that, you know, we naturally organically have lots of opportunities to talk about these things, Um, whether it's, you know, kids talking about, you know, I heard that, you know, those people aren't wearing Yeezys anymore right to you know something about Kyrie Irving or something about something they heard on a college campus. like they hear all of this stuff. Um, but it means that we have to gather some information too. I, I think that for a lot of people um, they haven't kept up with all of these skills because they never thought they would have to right And yeah. a lot of us are waking up in this middle age of our life saying, Uh uh-oh, you know what? I have not prepared my kids as much as I needed to because I didn't think I would have to.
0: But I think the reality is we have to. And I love that you said to start by asking questions of the kids, but that can also go with people of any age is my experience. (laughs) You know, like, hey, what do you think about this? And really kind of getting a base level of if you agree, if you disagree, if you're operating on different information, you know, and then you can dive into that conversation a little bit more effectively. I think that's such an important point to your point, saying that we haven't maybe flexed some of these muscles as much as we now need to. Um, And that first flex starts with the questions and then going, ha, have you ever thought about this? Or let's talk about that. Or, you know, really, um, that is an excellent, excellent tip. So thank you for being on. And everybody who is listening, Please read How to Talk to Your Jewish Kids About Anti-Semitism. It has Important Information for People of All Faiths by Logan Levkov, who we're talking to right now. Thank you so much for being on with us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to take a little break, but we'll be back in just a quick moment with the power of moms, the power of moms voting, the power of moms raising their voices, sharing their stories, the power of moms making change. We'll be back in just a little moment. Kristen Raub Finkfinder, powered by Moms Rising. We have our own superhero, Donna Norton of Moms Rising, who just played a major, major, major role in protecting democracy, in getting out the mom vote, in making sure everybody who wanted to vote could vote on November 8th. And we just saw historic changes because of it. Welcome, Donna.
4: Thank you. So exciting.
0: Well, one of the things I want to start out with is to try to frame why this is so historic. People are like, well, what happened that's so historic? Can you share with people what happened that was so historic?
4: Well, first of all, we had incredible turnout for a midterm historic turnout, which is awesome in the middle of, you know, the tail of the epidemic in the middle of a difficult economic time. And diff- it's just been a difficult political era and a lot of people, you know, we were afraid we're shutting off to politics because it's been so incredibly ugly over the last six years. And we had people just go to the polls in droves with with, you know, hope, with optimism, with like persistence, resistance. Amazing um, fortitude. And it's so exciting that we really had this amazing turnout and because of it, what we expected, which is the normal historical process of the party who's in power at the midterm, loses you know, 20 to 40 seats normally. We haven't seen that at all. There hasn't been a giant red wave. Um, we are seeing, amazing wins um, that we didn't even foresee happening across the country. And I think it really speaks to, you know, the power of women voters, the power of young voters, the power of people of color going out and the power of, of anyone who cares about mothers. We had, you know, lots of men going out to vote for their uh, partners for their daughters, um, to make sure that they have, uh, bodily autonomy, their right to make decisions over their, their bodies in the future. So, um, really historic moment and, uh, victory for all of us for protecting democracy and, you know, the future of our children's votes.
0: Such a big moment. And I wanna talk about some of the things that sort of let us know at Moms Rising ahead of time that things were not gonna go as the pundits were predicting for the election. And that is the massive wave of people who volunteered to help get out the vote. Now, we had over 34,000 people in some way, shape or form volunteer to help get out the vote. That means either they decided that they would help handwrite postcards or they sent texts to people or they clicked on a map and said, hey, I'm voting and I'll help get three to five friends to vote too. Or they went to a polling location and they volunteered to be there to help moms entertain their kids while they voted. There was so much volunteering happening. And that to me was a little indicator that the pundit saying that this would not be a year when people turned out to vote was actually going to be the opposite. People, if they're Spending their time to volunteer to help get out the vote, then that definitely, to me, indicated that there were going to be a lot of wave of voters behind them. What did you think, Donna?
4: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we we like well, I don't know what the word is sold out of postcards <laughs> very soon after we <laughs> asked people to to sign up, and this is like almost a million postcards. And within you know days, we had a we're sold out. Sorry, we've got every one of these postcards committed um so yeah we were instantaneously deluged by moms who wanted to help out um and you know continued by volunteering you know to 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 organize games and activities at polling places different parts of the country um, amidst a time where we're hearing about you know possible violence happening Um, Lots of really brave um, and wonderful people who, you know, were really dedicated to making voting a positive experience for families. So grateful.
0: So grateful. Actually, that is a big word. If you are here listening and helped in any way, shape or form to get out the vote, thank you. Moms are powerful. We're also powerful at nagging, at bugging, at bringing along all of our people to vote. Donna had an epic voting experience. I don't know if you want to share. (laughs) There were so many barriers to Donna alone voting. And I know that so many listeners had barriers to voting and made it happen anyway. And I don't know if you want to share. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, we're epically mobilizing people around the country to vote. But even within my own household, it was epic. I my husband somehow got deregistered and so looked to, you know, for his ballot, it wasn't there, and then got on the, you know, the, the link that I sent him to check his registration, and he wasn't registered after having been registered for, you know, all time. So he had to deal with that. And then, uh, you know, one of my sons recently moved across country, he had to figure out how to register there and uh another son uh we will not say who did this in my household but had his ballot thrown in the recycling so that day i was like (laughs) in the recycling looking for the ballot desperately and then i I dropped it off to him and then i went to my mailbox to make sure that uh, my ballot that i'd put in my mailbox had been picked up the prior day and it was still there Somehow it didn't get picked up in the mail, so I had to run it down to the voting place. I mean, so, yes, like everybody, you know, has to, to do what they can to, to make sure everybody in their family can vote. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. And, you know, whatever we need to do, whether it's, you know, digging through our trash or whatever we do um, as moms to make sure it happens.
0: I uh, was obviously texting with you on election day. And when you told me that your ballot was still in the mailbox, I was like, are you kidding me? After like everything that could go wrong did. So moms are good at making sure that even though everything goes wrong, that those ballots still get in. And thank you, Donna, on behalf of everybody in America, for making sure your family voted. Um, and, And so that's the power. And one of the things that we saw in the election returns already is that there was a wave of young voters, unlike prior elections. And, you know, I'm gonna attribute part of that wave to the nagging of moms on their kids. <laughs> what are your thoughts of that?
4: I think it was the nagging of moms, but also I think it was the issue of abortion. You know, I just was talking to somebody in Michigan who said the lines at the universities were, you know, way long there just to vote on the, they had a proposition there. Um, on abortion. And I think, you know, it was so obvious how um, this election would impact people's lives that tons of young people went out to vote, which is awesome. Um, You know, I'd I'd like to think that a lot of young people went out to protect the amazing um, provisions that were passed on climate as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, I'm not sure that people quite understand the um, uh, just the historic um, nature of that bill. I think we need to do more educating going forward because it. I was recently at uh, you know a talk with um, somebody who works on climate change and said that bill is just like an A plus bell of um, what we could do to cut carbon emissions in this country and you know the republicans have vowed to try to repeal it so protecting that i know is like climate is a huge issue for young people Um, so i think that drove at least some young people out Um, but it's exciting that after so many years of saying young people are apathetic young people don't care you know that young people really came out and um that's really exciting for the future
0: yeah that's so true it's exciting for the future because one of the things that's so important is that democracy is not about any one election um and it's not supposed to be and this is really important for anybody of any age who's listening democracy is not supposed to be about any one election it's supposed to be about continuous participation so that our policies, our laws of our land reflect our current needs and who we currently are as a country. And for that to happen, we have to vote in every single election. We have to vote in presidential elections. We have to vote in midterm elections. We have to vote in off-off year elections. That's next year, people. Start making your voting plan for next year. We have to vote in all the elections and all together, then we can build that better nation that many of us strive to be and And so it's not a one and done situation. And do you have any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know collectively over time, we see the impact of of voting or not voting. and I think, and you know we're now starting to realize uh, the collective impact of many years of who has been nominated to the Supreme Court and how that's going to have an impact on our lives um, for many years. And so even if there's nothing uh, that you can think of at this this second that you feel like passionately drives you to the polls, like you should remember that, uh, you know, over time, like these institutions can change because of voting and who's voting. And so it's super important to continue to go out to the polls and continue to elect people that represent your uh, perspectives and interests
0: and that's so important what you just raised that it's over time our votes also add up like the u.s supreme court that who's on the u.s supreme court is almost like a map of who we've been voting for as a country in the past so we create the future with our votes in the moment and it's really important to know that and i just want to take a moment we don't have that much time left, but I want to thank everybody who did volunteer with Moms Rising. Um, because of volunteers, we were able to get out um, several million postcards, um, nearly a million handwritten to get information to infrequent voters about how to vote. We were able to call and text. Um, over 6 million times to let people know about how and where to vote and to give them information. one of my favorite things about activities that are fun that you can do with your kids while you vote. Um, We were able to also reach out on social media and on other platforms with ads, with fun information, not just mean or boring information, but fun information about how to be a voter and raise a voter. And so I want to thank everybody who volunteered. Um, Tens of thousands of people volunteered. Um, And if you want to be inspired, you can go to the Moms Rising Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and look at some videos of some of the volunteers out on the ground. I've actually been watching them once a day. Donna, have you been watching those videos?
4: (laughs) Yeah, those videos are awesome. They will inspire you and cheer you up and make you happy.
0: Yes, totally. I'm like, oh, feeling a little down? (laughs) i don't need a cup of coffee i'm gonna rewatch the video on the moms rising instagram so thank you to everybody who's there um listening who took part and i know that that's many of you and thank you to donna norton for really leading the way um building change protecting democracy um and being on with us right now so thank you donna well thank you before we go today i want to just give a heartfelt thank you to all the people who turned out to vote to all the people who got anybody else to turn out to vote, to everybody who volunteered to help get out through Moms Rising over 6,290,000 texts and phone calls to low frequency voting moms to give them the information they needed to vote, to each person who helped handwrite and send a postcard to a mom or person who doesn't normally vote to help inspire them to vote, over 1.6 million postcards went out. To everyone who stepped forward in any way to help get out the mom vote, and that is 64,460 people. Yes, we just added it up. Thank you. And then to everyone who helped push and lift forward content on social media in English and Spanish, who helped really, really, really change the narrative around what's at stake. And we reached 30,154,042 people through those impressions this is a big moment. It's a big moment where we proved that our voices have power through our votes. So I hope you keep rising, keep voting, don't give up, stay involved, and thank you for listening. Well, that's it for our show today. Thanks so much for tuning in as we tackle the top topics facing our nation in a way that really requires the most boring disclaimer in the history of planet Earth. Here it goes. Views expressed on this show are those of the individual speakers and should not be attributed to Moms Rising, to this station, to any news or social media service that may disseminate a recording of this show to the public or to any segment of the public. Boom, we'll catch you next week.